You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. A spyware campaign centered on Pakistan comes in two variants, one for Android, the other for iOS. Vietnam is said to be phishing in a compromised Phnom Penh Post website. Signal patches a cross-site scripting issue very rapidly. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security releases its cybersecurity strategy. The Cambridge Analytica whistleblower talks to the Senate Judiciary Committee. The Senate Intelligence Committee concludes that the Russians didn't like Hillary Clinton. Investigation of Vault 7 leaks continues. We got notes from the Cyber Investing Summit. And if you're so smart, how come your password is ninja? From the CyberWire studios at Datatribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 16th, 2018. Researchers at Lookout describe two extensive Pakistani cyber espionage campaigns, Stealth Mango, which targets Android devices, and Tangelo, which works against iOS. The targets were diplomatic, military, and governmental personnel in India, the UAE, and Afghanistan, with strong interest shown in collecting against Pakistani dissidents as well. Some Australian, U.S., and German officials were apparently swept up in the campaigns, thought to be run by Pakistan's military, and using convincing spoof sites, including bogus app stores, in conjunction with phishing to net the victims. A Vietnamese state-directed group has compromised Cambodia's Phnom Penh Post website, to infect Vietnamese dissidents and Cambodian human rights activists with spyware. The watering hole was established shortly after ownership of the paper changed. Signal, the secure messaging app, gets high marks for quick response to responsible disclosure. Last Thursday, researchers told the app's developers about the cross-site scripting issue they'd found. Signal had a patch ready within about four hours of notification. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has released its long-anticipated strategy. The plan has these major goals. Better risk identification, improved reduction of both threats and vulnerabilities, better attack mitigation, reduction of threats and vulnerabilities, mitigating the consequences of cyber attacks, developing infrastructure resilience, and improving management of the department's cyber portfolio. Cambridge Analytica and Facebook data scandal whistleblower Christopher Wiley is testifying before the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee today. He tweeted yesterday that Cambridge Analytica was, quote, the canary in the coal mine, end quote, and that he hopes Facebook and others will be held accountable to users. The U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee said today that they essentially concur with the intelligence community's assessment that Russian interference in the 2016 presidential campaign aimed to both, quote, undermine public confidence in the U.S. democratic process, end quote, and damage candidate Clinton's electability and potential presidency, eventually coming to express a preference for the rival Trump campaign. In other election hacking-related news, Google's corporate parent Alphabet will offer its Jigsaw distributed denial-of-service protection for free to political campaigns during this year's midterm elections. DDoS attacks themselves may be growing more difficult to defend against. Attackers are using a known vulnerability in the UPnP, Universal Plug and Play, protocol to mount harder-to-track DDoS attacks. Researchers at security firm Imperva say the port-obfuscated amplification attacks 
are more stubborn because they render source IP and port information less reliable for traffic filtering. The attacks are thus harder to shut down. Joshua Schulte, a former CIA employee whom U.S. federal prosecutors suspect in the Vault 7 disclosure of CIA hacking tools to WikiLeaks, is being held in Manhattan on unrelated charges of storing child pornography. There's apparently insufficient evidence to charge him in the Vault 7 case, but he remains under investigation. If you do work with the U.S. federal government or are a cleared contracting facility, you're likely aware of Risk Management Framework Compliance. Michelle Maitland is a senior cybersecurity analyst at Secure Strux, and she joins us with the details. So the government has been following this policy since about 2010, and it's basically a methodology for um, figuring out what type of data you have and how to protect your data, the different kind of settings and documentations in order to make sure your data is protected. There was um, kind of a regulation that has been starting rolling out recently to companies, commercial companies that work with the federal government, and they're forced to follow this new framework as well. So it's a new policy for them. They're not used to having to follow this methodology. So um, it's been given folks a lot of heartburn, especially smaller businesses, because this methodology kind of tends to work really well for enterprise, but smaller companies, it doesn't necessarily scale down very well. So um, that's kind of one of the big stressors that people have had, um, especially for small businesses. One new process and two new process seems to be overly complicated when you have 14 employees. So take us through exactly what's involved with this. You figure out what type of data you are protecting and you walk through a couple of steps on how to do that. And you assign essentially a series of important indicators of how to protect that data. It's called the CIA triad confidentiality, integrity, availability. So confidentiality is what we're used to dealing with, protecting my personal data from you know, making sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or protecting company data, making sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands. But integrity is kind of new to some businesses. It's making sure that data is protected from accidental or in- intentional modifications. So banking industries, things like that, deal with high integrity data all the time. And availability is making sure that you maintain access to the data in the event something happens. So hospitals, things like that, in the event they lose power, they're still going to need to have their systems up and running. So that would be a high availability system. So based on the type of data that you're protecting, you have uh, different level indicators for each of those, high, medium, low, essentially. Based on those three indicators, it walks you through the different requirements on how to document and protect that data. So for a small company who's trying to make their way through this, what are some of the challenges that they face? Generally, most companies, you know, the folks wear many, many hats. Security is kind of one where it's seen as an overhead function, right? It doesn't necessarily make a profit unless that you're in the business of doing security explicitly. So nobody really wants to spend and have a large budget on security. So most of the folks that I work with aren't IT people. They're not security people. They do other things in the company and they have to do this on the side. Not having that background and only kind of doing it part-time when they have time to do it seems to be pretty much the greatest challenge, I would think. So in terms of of your advice, if folks find themselves having to deal with this, uh, what do you advise them for, for the best way to get going and make sure that they're in compliance? Google essentially is your friend. There are a lot of resources out there um, that can help you step through the process if you get stuck. Where it seems to be the hardest thing that I don't think that the 
framework fully explains is kind of the action plan. Okay, so I take the training, but how do I do this? That's where outside sources can kind of help you walk through the process. So there's uh, several help sites where you can take free training, but if you go through and you follow the guide, um, it should walk you through things, but there you may need supplemental assistance, and the Internet has a treasure trove of things to help walk you through. Um, when you start a company, if you're actually doing it and you're in the weeds every day, you might not have the time necessarily to step back and think of the picture holistically, and I think that that's what the risk management framework does in general. It'll focus you to kind of step back and look at the bigger picture um, and help address any gaps that you may miss in your normal day-to-day operation. That's Michelle Maitland from Secure Strux. The third annual Cyber Investing Summit was held yesterday in Lower Manhattan's Financial District. Dave DeWalt, co-founder and CEO of Momentum Cyber and a managing director of Allegis Cyber, delivered a keynote that set the terms of discussion by drawing the history of what he called the perfect cyber storm. He traced that history since 2000, noting that 29 countries now have declared offensive cyber capabilities. 64, he said, have declared defensive capabilities, and these 64 at least probably also have unavowed offensive capabilities. As the storm has grown, so too has the cybersecurity market. Worth $3.2 billion in 2000, this year it's reached some $96.3 billion. DeWalt sees the biggest opportunities in that market where there are the biggest gaps. Drones and domes, the drone economy and the security infrastructure it will necessarily require, industrial and IoT, which are increasingly pervasive, social and satellite, with just a handful of companies specializing in social media security, and satellites assuming an increasingly bigger share of communications infrastructure, and cloud and crypto, especially with respect to identity management and advanced cryptography. DeWalt emphasized that companies in this space must know their go-to market window, always narrower and more fleeting than they assume. He advised investors to, quote, look for management teams who can figure out go-to-market, end quote. The summit also saw the release of the Cybersecurity 500 list. We'll have more notes on the summit tomorrow and Friday, but it's worth noting what venture investors seem to think were hot and what left them cold. Data science is pretty hot, but endpoint protection and threat intelligence have cooled off. We also had an interesting conversation with Wells Fargo CISO Rich Bache. His team is making interesting use of cyber ranges in evaluating security products. Companies interested in selling to some of the bigger enterprises might well expect to have their wares put to realistic test on these ranges. And finally, hey wise guy, if you're so smart, how come you aren't rich? Answer that one, Umnitsa. It's an old question, first asked on the record of the Greek philosopher Thales, whose answer was that he could be rich if he wanted to, but that he just wasn't interested, and to prove he could do it, he cornered the olive press market before a bumper crop came in. So there. He meant to be poor. But here's a less encouraging update, courtesy of Asia Pacific College in the Philippines. If you're so smart, how come you use such lousy passwords? Well, it turns out that when you correlate percentages of compromised passwords with students' grade point averages, the honor student types didn't do significantly better than the students in the C- to D range. Everyone came in between around 12 and 20% compromised. 
Sure, the higher GPAs were at the higher end of that narrow range, but they're underachieving. The researchers call for a larger sample and a follow-on study to get more definitive results. So again, if you're so smart, how come you're still using a password that's listed in previous public breaches? Answer that one, Poindexter. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the host of the Internet Storm Center Stormcast podcast. Johannes, welcome back. Uh, certainly getting a lot of attention uh, recently is this uh, whole incident with eFail. Uh, bring us up to date here. What do we need to know about this? Yeah, eFail is a really interesting vulnerability because it does show some of the risks uh, that we take uh, when we are sending HTML email. HTML email may contain external resources like, for example, style sheets or images. Now, this has always been problematic whether or not you're using email encryption or not. But one of the eFail vulnerabilities really takes advantage of uh, these external includes. The way it works is an adversary has gotten a hold of an encrypted email that you received. So now the next thing the adversary needs to do is they need to decrypt it. So what they will do is they'll take that encrypted email and make it part of an image tag. So what they're sending to you is an HTML email essentially with an image tag where the image tag is the encrypted email. So next thing that happens is your email client receives the email decrypts the email because you know the key for that email and then it tries to download that image but the image name is now the decrypted content of your email so the attacker who runs the web server this image is supposedly hosted at well uh, they will receive the decrypted content of the email so 
pretty interesting, tricky vulnerability. That vulnerability is really more a problem with how the mail client parses these encrypted emails, how they deal with uh, external includes like uh, images and such. The second vulnerability with eFail is actually kind of the more severe one in the sense that it allows an attacker to modify an encrypted email. Now, typically with encryption, when you modify stuff, that's being recognized as being altered. But the way PGP and SMIME in particular, actually SMIME more so than PGP, implement their encryption, they're not really all that careful about the email being modified in transit. So now an attacker could actually inject that image tag into the encrypted part of the email. And that would now cause a data leakage no matter whether or not uh, your email parser or your email client correctly parses email. So really kind of tricky, but not really all that difficult to pull off a method to have you decrypt email and then send the response or the decrypted email back to the attacker. And so what's to be done right now to protect yourself against this? Well, since nobody really encrypts email, uh, I think what you really should do is you should configure your mail client to not load external resources. That's a bad idea, no matter whether or not you encrypt emails or not. Lots used for tracking. It can be used to modify the email after the fact. So that's probably the first thing you should do. Now, if you do use actual email encryption, decryption, then you should configure it to not happen automatically so that you're being prompted, for example, for a passphrase. So then you can make a decision whether or not you actually want to decrypt the email. If you're a little bit more careful than that, then just decrypt your emails offline. So save the email to a file and then decrypt it on the command line or in special software that you have to decrypt content. That way, again, you're preventing some of the data leakage. All right, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.